There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. And we are broadcasting from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Today's guest, Mike Claiborne. You know him from Cardinal Broadcasts. You know him from KMOX. You may know him from KTRS, KFNS. He has been in the market for decades, and he's seen it all, and very few people can tell a story like Mike Claiborne. So the way I would describe this interview to you, to give you a very brief nutshell of what I think you're going to expect over the next hour and 40 minutes, is it's similar to the interview with Learn of KC95 and that we're all over the place, but with a sports tilt, with a sports stories tilt, uh, whether it be with athletes you know of, both locally and nationally, such as Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods uh, and Joe Namath, or uh, whether it be sports personalities and behind the scenes on that and his opinions on all kinds of things. I loved this one. I guess I haven't come on here and gone, I didn't really like that one because I haven't had that happen yet. Uh, I feel like inevitably it's going to happen, but this one, I loved this one, and it was one where we could have gone on and on and on and on, but it got to a point where I'm like, my God, we've gone an hour and 40 minutes. I've got to let the man go. But uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Mike Claiborne, who has seen so much in St. Louis sports over the last few decades, and he's really not hesitant to give his opinion on this. So that's what's coming your way today on the Tim McKernan Show. It all comes your way from thehomeloanexpert.com. Studios, Ryan Kelly and his outstanding staff from thehomeloanexpert.com make this podcast possible. So if you're on board with what you hear here on the program, please make sure you support our sponsors. And thehomeloanexpert.com is the place to go. Whether you're going to buy a home or you're going to refinance, just go to thehomeloanexpert.com. I'm looking at it right now. And it's so user-friendly. You can just click it right now. I'm going to click on refinance just for, just for the fun of it. Let's see what happens. Oh, I clicked on that, and then it gave me two options that I can click on, and then immediately I'm going to find out how much money I can save. Just like that. How helpful is that? How nice is that? That's a lot different than just a few years ago with mortgage companies. The HomeLoanExpert.com specializes in saying this. 30 seconds can save you $500. Why wouldn't you at least see if they can do that for you at Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com? The studio sponsors here on the Tim McKernan Show, Ryan Kelly and his staff at the HomeLoanExpert.com. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to bring you here on the Tim McKernan Show, our guest this week, Mike Claiborne. Mr. Claiborne, this is an honor, sir. This honor. is an honor. No, the honor is mine. No, so you have to. You feel no, obligated to say that, but no, I mean, I mean it. it because you and I have known each other for a long time. Twenty I don't think plus we've years. We've ever shared a microphone. 
I don't think so Maybe either. in the early days. When I was between... interning at KFNS in 98 doing the Sports Center updates, they've gone, they've gone the way they've of the Amtrak train well, and the they Xerox. Well, after you stop doing them, <laughs> right. what, the, what the hell? <laughs> so we are sitting here, for the record, down in Jupiter, Florida, uh, in, in my dining room, I suppose, and my, my family will Part be... Part of wa- your compound. It is a compound. Yes, it yes. is a broadcasting compound. This is like the world headquarters. So my wife will become wandering down the steps with my son momentarily. So that is the backdrop there for our brother. she is. <laughs> Mrs. McKernan and young one. She, she'll be coming down with Jameis at any moment. But you all, you've had a place down here now for how long? About 10 years. Oh, that, I didn't know it was 10 years. Yeah. Um, interesting, my cousin and I kind of jumped on this. And now, was this like, I like to get away, or was this, I think it's a good investment, it's or was it letter C? Well, I owned property here before when the Cardinals first moved. Huh. I bought... Uh, a couple of pieces, and they were rental properties. And I got out right before the crash. And uh, it was a good investment for me. But I always felt like I would want to be part of this again. And uh, so I've been here, and I, I don't get a chance to come down as much as I'd like to, obviously, because of the season. But it has been a nice, safe haven. You know, this place is fun when nobody's here. That's what everybody keeps telling yeah, me. Yeah, man, they can't wait for you guys to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fun. Uh and, and the great thing about this area, you just don't know who you're going to run into. I remember my first encounter here. I'm in the Home Depot, and there's Bobby Orr in the paint section. And I go up to him. And I, Do you I, know him? Because I figure you, uh, yeah, so I feel like I, you know everybody. I, so yeah, evidently, I, I he might have walked up to you. But instead. I hadn't seen him in a while, and we stood there and talked, and we realized neither one of us knew much about paint. Uh, <laughs> and so, But, you know, like you go to a restaurant, and... You know, like last night, there's Keith Hernandez. I was at a place last night. Or Where was this? I need to know. Limoncello. That's your spot. That's one of my spots. <laughs> That's one of your spots. That's one of the spots that they'll hear about. The other ones, <laughs> I, I learned a long time ago, John Rooney and I were doing a game, and he started to promote Limoncello. It, it had been one of his first times there. And I'm saying, I don't know if that's a good idea. So, like, two nights later, I went, and they said, can you wait? Uh, we got a rush. We got a bunch of people from St. Louis who just rolled in and asked about this place. And I realized that all of a sudden I'm going to the back of the line. So there's some good places. That's the one neat thing about this area. Um, you got a lot of neat places that you can go eat, and they've got a selection for everybody. Yeah. So um, that's another reason why I like it down here. I do love it down here. Yeah. You, you were uh, telling us when we were doing the show from the uh, the critically acclaimed uh, not sure how, how many awards do you guys have now? I mean, you had to. My dad just hands show. them out to me every yeah. quarter. By the <laughs> way, speaking of your dad, here we go. <laughs> um, here we go. You know, I have been around this business for so long, and I didn't really know your dad until I worked with him. And I learned more about the business uh, from him, just listening to him, and because he was part of the transition of how you sell. So he still had the pencil and everything. And then, you know, he knew the numbers, but people started to sell a business different. Now, he and I were on different pages sometimes, and we had a couple of yells at each other. That's but what, you know I, what I, had, I had heard about yeah, this. Yeah, but you know what? I have so much But he has yells for, with everyone. Yeah, but you know what? I respect him so much um, in how, how passionate he was. Okay, that's the other thing. I appreciate his passion. There's a handful of people I've learned something from in the business. Bob Hyland, Rich Gray, your dad would be, I would put in that category. Wow, people that I've, are, I've learned a, a lot comment, about sir. the business. Uh, and I've never said that. I never shared it with you. But 
what what a delight he was uh and to see him raise his family and listen to those those stories about raising kids and where he started at in the business that's that, that says a lot about him well thank you yeah. i appreciate that those are super kind words now yeah. do you pay him well or is he, <laughs> how's this working <laughs> i want him to just enjoy him. I want there him to go. get on the Mike Claiborne, I'm going to enjoy myself plan. That's what that's you got to do. That's man. what I have. got to show up looking to have a good time. But he'll text me. He goes, Timmy, I need some numbers for the podcast. I go, I didn't even know you were selling the podcast. I'm selling anything. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, yeah. I just, I'm making some calls. These people are really interested. I'm like, you're okay. in Hilton Head. Enjoy that's yourself. Right. But, hey, that's what he but loves to that's what he sell. likes to do. You're exactly yeah, right. So turn him loose, man. That's what he does. So you mentioned how my father got his start. He started in the mailroom at KPLR TV and then wound up leaving as the general sales manager. And I've legitimately wondered this, and I'm not just doing it for the podcast because I don't know. I know you'll tell me stories yeah. about Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan and Joe Namath up at Jordan's new restaurant, which I certainly will want you, to visit. You haven't been there yet? I have not been there, but I've had it pointed to me. That's as close as I've gotten. Yeah. Oh, there it and is. And you know what? Here's the thing about it. It's kind of obscure. There's no big neon sign out in front of it. Yeah, well, there isn't a neon sign in front of St. Louis Country Club either, yeah, and I think it's by true. design. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when we drive by Seminole, they're not like, Seminole, billboard. This <laughs> way. <laughs> so I think you're right. I think yeah. it's by design. So, so, no, I have not been there, but I'm looking forward to getting to how you've gotten to know all of these people. But for me... I kept getting cut from baseball teams, and I mm-hmm. loved the game of baseball. And the best, next best thing was to get into broadcasting. That's how That's I most of us stumbled. Yeah. But what was what was your um, impetus? Same thing. You wanted to play baseball? Is that what you? No, no. I, you know what? I was a good athlete in high school. What were you playing? Everything. Really? Yeah. I was getting uh, cut from know, everything. I, see, I, I was. When football season was over, I was going to basketball team. Basketball season was over, I was going to baseball. And, and one year, I even went to the track team. So uh, I liked also, and I was playing hockey, you know. And so I was doing everything. And that's one of the things about kids today. They get so, you know, consumed by one sport at such an early age, and I think they're missing the boat. But, you know, you, you make a – you do a self-assessment and you realize – you know, I'm playing maybe my last few games of competition, so I want to stay close to sports. So what do you do? Well, remember, when I was growing up, you only had one sports voice, and that was Camerwax. Mm-hmm. And you listen to sports open line from 6 to 8 every night, and you would listen to all these great broadcasters. And I always thought talk radio would be for me because I like talking, and I didn't want to limit myself to one sport. Uh, you know, right now you have guys who are only known for, well, he's the football guy or he's the baseball guy. I think I'm just the guy because I like talking about all of them. And I think that's a good position to be in. Yeah, you're but not most pigeonholed. people don't do it. Yeah. Um, I'm that guy that if you roll out a sport, I'm going to probably know something about it where I can at least ask another question about it. The only sport that I struggle with is cricket. You don't get into cricket. Well, it's not that I don't get into it. it, it it's, it's you know, I'm trying to apply baseball things and this and that and the field. And, and I just like – and one of my oldest friends in life lives in Bermuda. All right, He's been there, I guess, 25 years. And when I go see him, we'll go to a cricket match. And I'm like, well, where's the seventh inning strategy? Is there something that I can apply to this? Or is he throwing a curveball with that? So that's the only sport that I, I, I would probably say – I'm going to shut up and listen when they talk to me about it. <laughs> but Everything else you can bring. You're home. in it. You're Roller in it. derby, you know, I don't care. I mean, because I think that 
for young people who want to get in the business, you got to know everything. You got to don't 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 worry. We got enough basketball and baseball analysts and the insiders. Find a niche sport, man, that nobody's talking about, and that'll get your foot in the door. And then you can expand your scope yeah. and try and do the other things you like doing. You know, I, I think one of the good examples out there is Rob Fisher. Rob Fisher. And now in Memphis. Why, now in Memphis. Rob Fisher. With the Grizzlies. He couldn't have told you how many guys were on a team when it came to basketball. All he wanted to do was baseball. But he went to Memphis. He was doing talk radio. And he still does, by the way. And he does a really good job. Uh, and he got involved in basketball. Now he's a sideline guy in the NBA. He's traveling. He's doing all the other things they do. Uh, he's got a very popular radio show, but he was willing to expand his scope, and hence it's put him in a great position. So, But I just don't see enough guys want to do it. Yeah. And I'm sure when you talk to guys, they want to. They want to. They think doing your show in the morning is just getting up in your pajamas and hooting and hollering. Well, maybe for a lot of other shows, uh, but, but my point is, yeah, let's let's make it yeah, compared to Frank's yeah, exactly. show. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, you you can't pigeonhole yourself because there's just too many people out there doing it. You know, you want to have something that says you're not trying to say, "Hey, look at me," but you know, you want to be able to to join in in virtually any conversation if you're going to be in this business. Yeah, boy, you're right. That's so important, and I think that people lose sight of that because they just want to focus on one thing. Yeah. I, I, I'm curious what you think of uh, the way that social media has entered into our business and how you navigate it. Because I'll notice sometimes you'll kind of go on a, a Twitter You'll, yeah. you'll get into it. I just I amuse myself. And you amuse the, me because yeah. I'm kind of like, oh, Clave's in the mood yeah. to fire off right. tonight. I'll look forward and, to this. And if you like noticed, you were like a couple weeks ago, the NBA dunk contest was going on, and you were not happy with the panel of judges. Yeah. And I'm just and like, just, I'm going to lock in and watch what Mr. Claiborne has yeah, to say tonight. You know, um, social media, in my opinion, is better than taking phone calls. The only problem is the same people who were gutless on phone calls where, you know, they'd say nasty things, they now put it in print. Um, but I enjoy variety. Uh, you've read my tweets. Seldom do I go after an individual. Uh, I'm having more fun than anything else. Uh, but I, I think that there's a place for it. I, I think social media, because of all the information that's available to us, we should be smarter as far as being knowledgeable in sports. But here's the one X factor that we don't take into account. And I'll give you a good example. You know, we ought to fire the manager. We ought to fire this coach or whatever. But they've got information that you, me, and the, the, the tweeter, they don't have. They don't know if a guy's hurt. They don't know if a guy's got bad numbers against somebody. They don't know if the guy just came home and found out his wife was ready to leave. They don't know how a guy works. Uh, as far as the game is concerned, they have more information than we'll ever have. And I respect them being able to hold on because I, th- I think some things shouldn't be shared uh, with regard to why a person doesn't perform. But I think with all the other information that we have as far as stats and so many good reporters who get information, it should make us smarter. I don't know if people disseminate the information like they should because they're looking for something to bitch about. They're looking for something to pin on somebody else because they're not having a good day at work or the date last night cost me a lot of money and I didn't even get out of the batter's box. I mean, there's so many reasons on why people want to uh, pin all their woes on sports and individuals. They make too much money. They do this. 
And really, it's just, dude, you're just having a bad day or you're a bad person or you're taking this out on people for all the wrong reasons. One of the things that I have found, I guess it's come from operating a business that's in some capacity in the public eye, is you, you have a choice. And I've talked about this. I talked about this with Mike Matheny uh, of either explaining everything to its fullest, which then people would understand. Mm-hmm. But if I do that, then it would could be perceived I'm throwing people under the bus. You're or compromising air. relationships. So it's a tough spot. No, it is. And I, I think those who have a good finger on the pulse of the surrounding, they find a way to be creative. And, and I'll give you a good example. Um, when I do games or I do talk shows or whatever, I'm not that guy that's ripping a guy because he was a bonehead or he did this. I'm always one that believes that I would say if he dropped his pop fly, instead of saying, what a bum, you say, you know, I've seen him make that play a thousand times, and I know he'd like to have that one back. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think many athletes go out and, with the intention of being bad. They just don't get it done. My only time that I'll climb up a guy's butt is when he, I don't think he's hustling. If I think he's dogging it, if I think he's jaking his teammates and the people who spend the money to come watch him play, then I'm going to have enough information to support what I'm about to say because that's a very fine line. The two things you you have to really be careful about is question a person's heart and their effort because if you don't know if he's hurt and you say, well, he, he's got to be hurt because I've seen him do that better, and if he isn't hurt, then we got a bigger problem mm-hmm. to address. Uh, so you have to be careful to be the voice of reason compared to wanting somebody to just pile on. Right. It's so easy to pile on this business. But going back to the Twitter thing, the, in the social media, I enjoy it as long as it doesn't get mean-spirited for all the wrong reasons. Uh, there are some people that just beg for getting piled on. Um, and in that case, I just like to read some of the comments that people might have. <laughs> Those are always amusing. But, yeah, I enjoy it. I think it's fun. I think it's a good way to kind of exhale sometimes. Yeah. We were we were both talking about an interview that we did with uh, Mike Matheny recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did one. You did one for KMOX. And the one that I did, a lot of people said, man, I didn't know that he was like that. Yeah. I wish he would show that side of himself more often. But mm-hmm. he consciously, he mentions Joe Torrey told him exactly that he's guarded. So I so here's my question because you've covered so many coaches and managers in your career and granted many of those were before Twitter who do you think has navigated whether it be Cardinals Blues Missouri Rams football Cardinals St. Louis U Illinois whoever who do you think stands out to you who has navigated being able to maintain the privacy and the respect of his people on the inside while also communicating effectively with the fan base. Anybody stand out to you that's been able to do that? That's a good question. So I'll give you pre-social and post-social. Jim Hannafin. Jim Hannafin. Pre-social. Sure. Jim Hannafin got an extra year maybe to a coaching because he was a good guy. He was honest. Uh, He was accommodating. Remember, this is a smaller generation. Uh because the record would have, if he had that record coaching today, they would have fired him. Early, mid-80s yes, football card. Yes. Uh, had some good collections of players, but not enough good teams. Came close to getting in the playoffs in 84, but Neil O'Donoghue missed. One incredible, into my opinion, 
It was the greatest game I've ever seen a football Cardinal team play. The Cardinals-Redskins? They were playing in Washington, and the Redskins were running them all the way down to the National Monument, okay? (laughs) And all of a sudden, Neil Lomax and Roy Green and Otis Anderson, just there was nothing the Redskins could do. And Daryl Green was the best cornerback in the game at the time, and Roy Green was misusing him. He he was just uh, just assaulting him (laughs) as far as his skill set was concerned. And the referee stole the game defensively. They said it was a rough in the passer. They put them in a position where they scored late. And this is when I knew they meant the Cardinals meant business. Otis Anderson was one of the best kickoff return guys coming out of the University of Miami his senior year. I think he had two he returned for 100 yards. So you put both of them back there, that says, uh-oh. <laughs> and they returned to – it was like a 55-yard return, Okay. And they were they didn't have any timeouts. They get O'Donohue on the field, and he hooks one left. And I'm of the belief that missed field goal was the final nail in the coffin of the Cardinals staying in St. Louis. Because had they won, had they won, they would have been in the playoffs, and they had a good enough offense where they might have created some damage. And they would have had a groundswell of support to get this thing done, that be at a new stadium. Wow. I always felt that missed field goal was the, was the last nail. Because I feel like had the Rams beaten the Patriots in February of 2002, yeah. Super Bowl 36, mm-hmm. that the same kind of yeah. potential political equity could yeah. have been in the marketplace as opposed to what appeared to have been a downward spiral. And I'm talking about in the front office and the head coach at the time. I feel yeah. like Mike they, Martz yeah. may have lost his. It, it, it unraveled after that. Yeah. Right. And it spilled onto the street more or less. And then the apathy set in. But, yeah, I thought that that game – the offense, if you ever get a chance, look at the line score. Look at the box score, what Lomax and Green. They were down like. big. I they did, for whatever huge. reason, last year, yes. I actually did look this and up. The and there, I think it was on YouTube. Yeah, the Redskins were really good then. But I've never seen a clinic like that in my life other than the greatest show on turf. Mm-hmm. It was it was just incredible. And, and Roy Green, who, hey, there she goes. There, go. there they go. <laughs> there goes my there, wife and there, my there son. There goes the next it's generation. happens in the podcast. Yeah. You never know who's going to walk exactly. by. You know, uh, it's like it's like it's Shannon's. Oh, there's, come you, on you over just here. Know, yeah. which, which we'll get to that uh, that show. But uh, it, it was one of the great exhibitions I've ever seen as far as football was concerned yeah. in St. Louis, uh, other than the greatest show on turf. And I always throw this question out. For people who saw Roy Green, if you put him in the greatest show on turf offense, He'd have had 2,000 yards in receiving. Wow. Period. As great as Isaac Bruce was and Torrey Holt, mm-hmm. you give me Roy Green, you give me Roy Green and, and Isaac Bruce playing wide receiver, and I'm, I'm and Kurt with a good offensive line, no, I wouldn't be stopped. How about that? Yeah, considering he was able to do what he did with yeah, what he had. Yeah. And, and Torrey Holt's no slouch, but you give me Roy Green, who, who's bigger and stronger and, and faster than them. Mm-hmm. Lights out. Uh, Lights out. You mentioned Hannafin pre-social media. Who was um, the post-social media answer? Are we talking about the last ooh, 10 years about? is that Boy, that's, that's a good question because it hasn't changed much. You know, you had Tony in baseball for all those years. See, I thought he did I thought, well with that. I thought Tony was fine. I think Tony is the reason why people climb all over Mike, media on down, because Tony, A, was accessible. Right. Tony had a, a unique sense of humor on how to lighten things up. He knew how to convey messages to his team through the media. Uh, 
and he knew how to protect his guys when they needed protection. If he didn't think he deserved protection, then, you know, he would kind of let it be known that, you know, he's got to be better at that position. J.D. Drew has an ouchie. J.D. Drew, yes, (laughs) J.D. Drew would be a guy. uh, Kobe Rasmus was that guy because of his father. Uh, He and Scott Rowland were on different pages from time to time. I thought he was the best at it. Um, Joel Quinville was pretty good I was good curious. At it. I was going to go yeah, down the Blues Road. Yeah. I was wondering what your opinion but was. But see, social media at that time was fledgling. Yeah. And the hockey crowd is completely different than – well, they, all the sports who have their crowds have their passion. But the problem with hockey and football is uh, most people who followed in St. Louis never played either one. You know, you get the phone calls. Hey, I want to talk about the Cardinals. You know, I played a little ball. Yeah, when'd you play? Well, I was, you know, Corey League, and then I went on and played freshman year at Oakville, and you know that sort of stuff. But you don't have guys that tell you that I played a lot of hockey growing up, or you know, I played a lot of football after high school because it wasn't a minor league or anything like that. So they all think they know the game, and they really don't know it as much as they think they do. Baseball is a whole different animal. But I, I thought Joel was good. Um, the other coaches, Andy Murray, I didn't think was forthright a lot of times. So I kind of tuned him out. Uh, the other guy, Davis Payne was too technical for people to understand, including the players. Um, and then here comes Ken Hitchcock, old school, but knew how to play the media. I would say Ken Hitchcock. Yeah. 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 You know, because he got, he got the media angle and, he knew how to put a fire out when he needed to, and he didn't care what they thought. Hitchcock was smart enough to do one thing as far as coaching. He didn't coach 20, 20 guys. He coached three or four guys, and then he hoped that it would spread throughout the team. And some guys fought it. Other guys wouldn't. Uh, and that's why he can continue to resurface. And, yeah. and people know that he can, for lack of a better term, whip them in the shape. You have a passion for the game of hockey. when you. Were- I got, no, you, let me stop you. Everybody says that. Here's the one thing I always get amused with. Boy, you really know your hockey. Okay, really? Is it that I know my hockey or am I the black guy who knows hockey? <laughs> and, and, you know, and I take it I take it with a compliment. I don't take offense to it. But I like all – you know, people say, what's your favorite sport? Whatever one I'm watching. Really, seriously. It, whichever one I'm watching because the same recall I have for hockey, I can probably pull that same thing out of my hat for football yeah. or basketball or something else. I, I was having dinner with Frank Cusimano recently. And we started to talk about all-time great teams for every team in the NBA. Well, you guys could have been there for, for five or six hours. You might have been yeah. there for five well, or six see, hours. And I tried to change the script on Frank because, you know, Frank always wants to find five of the best offensive players. I said, well, Frank, if they're a great team, then they need other things like good defender, good guy coming off the bench, good instant offense. And so we decided we were going to expand it to eight players which makes it even more challenging to come up with, which creates better debate. Yeah. But, no, I don't have – but I, I, I enjoy it. I love hockey when it's being played. I love the passion. It's the hardest trophy to win. Uh, the problem that hockey has is that they've allowed people to continue to interject what they think people want to see. They keep saying, well, we're trying to reach new fans. Well – New fans still like to see the physical play. You know, I mean, the old adage, Don Cherry used to say, nobody ever gets up to go to a beer, go get a beer, go to a men's room when there's a fight that breaks out. The problem that hockey had a few years ago, 
they had what I call circus acts. Two four-flying guys who play about five minutes a night who come out, they have no real bearing on the game. And they look at each other and say, hey, want to go? And then they fight, and then they want to whoop it up and get the crowd fired. And, and the players look at each other like, okay, so what are we supposed to do about that? <laughs> Compared to the days where Kelly Chase or Tony Twist or some guys around the league, if they ran Tim McKernan, who was our best player, guess what? Here comes Chaser or right. Twister. Hey, don't do it anymore, or somebody on this team is going to pay the price. Right. That's accountability. The league allowed the circus acts to continue, and it became almost like championship wrestling where people didn't think it was real. Now, the player, oh, yeah, it was real, all right. I was getting hit in the head. But you weren't, you weren't, you weren't adding to the game. Right. You weren't, you weren't, I'll give you a good example. Steve Ott, good player. When the Blues played Chicago a couple of years ago in the playoffs, he turned that series around because he got uh, Taves off his game. You know, he, he was an agitator. He did things. Now, here's the difference between Ott and some of these other clowns. You want to go with Ott, then, yeah, we can go too. These other guys, oh, I don't want to fight. I just, right. you know. So we missed, we've allowed that element of the game to go away. Hence, you have what I think is a very watered-down version of the game that's hard for me to watch. Oh, really? Yeah, so I can't you, watch it. Really? Now, I didn't I mean, know I mean, I watch it. Now, it's unlike the NFL, which I don't watch at all. I, I think I watch it. Uh, other than the Super Bowl, I watched a combined one quarter of the NFL this year. God, I got like 30 questions out of that 10 seconds right there. All right, I got to make sure I remember them all. So, so when I, for the record, yeah. although I think there is something to say, the passion for hockey saying, hey, Mike Claiborne's black and he sure knows hockey. Yeah. So I think there's something to it. But I, I come from it when I would listen to you with Bob Ramsey, yeah. Afternoon Drive, and I'd be listening. i go, God, A, he loves it. But my God, he sure knows a hell of a lot about it. And that, yeah. so that, that's where I was coming. And I hear yeah. the thing, because it goes back to something you just said maybe five minutes ago regarding coverage of hockey in St. Louis specifically, because people didn't play it growing up. I think oftentimes the organization. There she goes. There again. goes. There well, goes. I gotta Mrs. Say, I've never there, met your wife. Oh, I, I was wondering if you guys are at the But you really are kicked your coverage. Buddy. Look at me. Look yeah. how beautiful I am. Yeah, I mean, she's she's a darling, man. Look at that handsome chap there. He looks just like your dad. <laughs> we got the Seriously. same hairline. Yeah, no, he looks like your dad. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> he didn't have a pencil in his hand. But <laughs> he didn't have a pencil. He wasn't yelling yeah, at me. Exactly. But that was, that was the he doesn't have a mailroom story yet. <laughs> yeah. I sold wrestling By the time he gets that. I sold three stooges. <laughs> Which, by the way, and, and you know what? Uh, now I'm really digressing. That was my staple of entertainment growing up. Roller derby, three wrestling stooges, at wrestling at that, the That's chase. what he sold. And, you know, because I wasn't old enough to drive. Well, yeah, I think I was. Or if you could find a girl back then that would go for that. Oh, who was Those three that? items. Who was into that? And even and then either went to White Castle or the Emo's Oh, my route. God. You married her right there. Oh, you the better spot. believe it. You would elope. You would, <laughs> you would just run <laughs> off of did you ever find? Did you ever find somebody who was I had one about? like that, yeah. When I went away to college <laughs> and then I had a new value on things. <laughs> Priorities changed. Exactly. Well, I understand oh, that. I can stay overnight. Oh, okay. <laughs> sounds like fun. <laughs> this is very morning after us because I'm like, God, now i got 30 things I want to ask about and I don't have anything in front of me to all right, on hockey, what was I going to say? You and Ramsey would go back and forth. Back. Yeah. God, he knows the game. Yeah. Um, and certainly we're passionate about it. I feel like I would learn something listening to you when mm-hmm. you're talking about the Blues, especially those like late 90s teams where oh, they had yeah. some good yeah. entertaining cats. Obviously, Chase was mm-hmm. on there. Some good teams, some good playoff runs with that Phoenix series in 99. But then I'm looking back on 
the, the knowledge of the game. And so I just had assumed that you were still as passionate oh, about Oh, I still am. No, I love the game, okay? I just don't love the direction that it's going in. And is this, a, is this over the last decade or so? <laughs> yeah, since the... I, I guess, you know, yeah, maybe 10 years. Yeah. You know, and I have to call Chaser every now and then so he can talk me off the ledge. Uh, because he but knows the same things I'm, that bother you probably are the things that he bitches oh, about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. There have been a couple of summers that I would go up to Chaser's place up in Saskatchewan mm-hmm. and play. They had this little rec tournament up there. I was out there playing. I was like, well, these guys really can't play. But I found a way to survive because I wanted to inhale the game. Just like uh, the late uh, Roger Nielsen had this coaches clinic in uh, Windsor, Ontario, every summer. And all these coaches from around the world would show up, all these amateur coaches, college coaches, whatever. <clears throat> and he had this incredible list of speakers. And I said, you know, I want to really learn this game more from a technical standpoint. And I'll never forget Joel Quinville was a speaker. And I'm sitting, like, in the third row. And as he's talking, he just kind of looks and just, pauses with his mouth open like of all the places I thought I'd see you this is one of them and I think uh, because I wanted to be able to to really understand it because it, it is a sport that has a lot to it that it's more than just running into a guy and he shoots he scores uh, there's so many intangibles that I felt I needed to be better at. and I've done the same thing with football uh I play football, but I always loved listening to other people. One of the great things Mike March did, he used to have a high school clinic for all the high school coaches in the yeah, state. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about and that. And they have yeah. it at Rams Park. So one year he had Gary Pinkle show up, and he brought his staff. The deal was over that night, and it was like 1 in the morning. It's Pinkle, March, myself looking for the remains of pizza that was served, and just talking football. Uh, and the neat thing about down here is Bill Parcells comes to a lot of Cardinal games. I sit and talk with them. We talk about guys in the past, and you just learn so much about the game from people. And I see why Parcells is out of the game, and I see why Ron Wolf walked away when he did. Why is that? I think because it's harder to coach guys today because you don't have as many tools to get their attention. When you were growing up, when you had your team didn't play well, what did the coach do to get your attention the next day? Bench you. He, he bench you or he, he run, run you. run you, yeah. Right. You don't run guys anymore. You know, you run a guy now, oh, my legs, I'm tired, I can't, you know. So you don't have the options to get a guy's attention. You bench him. Now you're compromising the, the integrity of the team because you need him because he's better than anybody else you got out there. So you have to mentally get to a few players and you hope they coach the other guys like we were talking about with Ken Hitchcock. And they teach the game. There's nobody, nobody can play defense anymore. Nobody knows how to tackle. Uh, and I'm a big stickler on tackling. The great teams or the good New England teams – They don't have one legitimate first round on that team, okay? But they all know how to tackle because they teach it the right way. Seattle was the same way. And those teams, there's fewer and fewer of them. And if you don't know how to tackle, this game isn't fun to watch. When did you stop watching or reducing your watching the NFL? I was was, was. But this wasn't a Rams leaving St. Louis thing for you. No, no, no. Because you were always of the mindset. Yeah, Yeah, I knew they were leaving 
What year was the last year the Cowboys played in St. Louis? Oh, boy, I don't know. That was about five years ago. I thought it was, for some reason I'm thinking 2012, but I might be wrong. Yeah, right. I knew it was a done deal then. Oh, that's when Jones was in St. Louis, yeah, and he was kind of popping off yeah, about it. Yeah, and I knew some other people on the other side of that fence that were giving me an indication that this was going to happen. And I thought we were going in the wrong direction anyway um, because – First of all, anybody who knows me knows I am not a proponent of public funding for sports facilities. You can make a contribution to it, but you should never own it. And St. Louis has made this mistake on a number of occasions that has put, you know, I know people say, look, we can't get anything done. Well, all right, let me get this straight. You own a, a stadium that was housed for football that's now the largest bingo hall in mid-America. <laughs> and then you come along and you want somebody to finance a soccer stadium. Uh, a soccer stadium that you don't know is going to work because you don't know where they're going to come from, although you do all these studies. So what happens? And they say, oh, no, we're, we're going to do this ticket tax thing. You know, they'll, they'll pay for it. All right, what happens if you going up? Your schedule is you're going to play a lot of Saturday night games. And, oh, by the way, so are the Cardinals. They got the Dodgers and the Cubs and Milwaukee all coming in the same weekends. So what happens if you have a bad team and nobody comes to the game and you don't make that nut as far as paying off the debt to build the stadium. Mm -hmm. Who's going to pay for that? The city. And in this case, the people people who use these facilities most don't even live in the city, but they want the city to pick up the tab for it. And when it doesn't go their way, they're like, look, we'll never get anything done. You know, this is what's wrong with St. Louis now. Hey, why don't you talk to your county representatives and have them move it out there? Or why don't you have the county representatives say, all right, we want in on this, but this is what we want in return. There are a lot of ways that could have been fixed, but they didn't do it that way, so I said to hell with it. Yeah, yeah. So going back to football, for some of the reasons I just explained with regard to the poor tackling and the poor play, uh, you know, play selection. I mean, there were times I could sit on my couch and after the second or third series, I knew what they were going to have an idea of what they were going to run. I wasn't as smart as Hank Stram where – you remember those days when he and Jack Buck would do the games? As a on little, radio? As on four, a little well, before Jack my Buck time. Well, Jack Buck would say, <laughs> say the formation, tight end left, man in motion right. They're going right, Jack. And he, he would just blurt out, they're going right. Here they come around the right side. And, and you know, you just would be marvel. You'd marvel if Hank had seen enough yeah. film and he knew what was going on. I'm not that good. But I am good enough to get an idea of what they're going to take out and what they're going to put in. So I wasn't excited. The off-field hypocrisy that took place with the owners and the players rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't like the way. Well, well, with the CTE thing, you know, these guys have sat on this information for a long time. And the players are too dumb to do anything about it. They want to get more days off, and they don't want to practice when they should have been talking about guaranteed money, they should have been talking about better health care. They should have been talking about life after football. And they didn't do any of that. And yet and still, they can't organize a two-car funeral when it really counts. They couldn't even organize protests about a situation that I firmly believe was true, but they were so poorly informed on how to let people know why they were really taking a knee mm. and why they were protesting. So I said to hell with the whole thing. I, I was done with it. The ownership, the NFL and the networks, I was appalled at how often they'd have to show a cutaway of an owner. 
You seen them doing it in the NBA or the NHL? How many times do they show Tom Stillman sitting in his box? You know, how many times do I bet most people don't even know who the Golden State Warrior owner is. Yeah. But you know who the Cowboys owner is. You know who Jeffrey Lurie or Bob Kraft yeah, or some of these other. I picture like almost Arthur all Blank. 32 of the owners yeah. now in my head. Now that exactly. You it up. But you couldn't name five owners of, of Major League Baseball outside the division. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, so I just thought that the whole product didn't warrant my attention. That doesn't, I don't tell anybody else you shouldn't watch it. If I'm somewhere and it's on, I'm not going to say, well, I got to go because you got the game on. Yeah, right. it, it's on and it is what it is. But I don't really – care for it does it translate to college football no still no, still no still i love college, college football. football so do i and here's why i love the passion i love the the creativity i love when you have a coach who has to really do some coaching because you know of that 11 or those 11 players eight of them are pretty good and three of them you got to cross your fingers on uh-huh. and you have to be creative because you got kids that are going through a lot more things uh, off the field, you have more regulations. You do have more control over the player. But I love college football. I can sit and watch college football. I haven't gotten to the point where I'm going to make everybody shut up because East Tonell Wesleyan is playing <laughs> Cloudy State. I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to still watch the good teams play. But, yeah, I, I watch a lot of college football. I love college football. I love Missouri and the SEC. You brought up Gary Pinkle. I want to go through some of these guys who you've gotten a chance to know over the years. What is your rapport, opinion? Of- I have incredible respect for Gary Pinkle. Uh, I've always said this. If I had a kid that was good enough, and God blessed me with two wonderful daughters, and I think he knew something. <laughs> uh, but if I had a son that was good enough, and Gary Pinkle came to recruit my kid, i turn him loose, and i know when it was over with, he was going to have an education. He was going to understand how to treat people. I think the world of Gary Pinkle, I think there should be more guys like him in the sport. And he may have his moments, okay? But that comes with the business. But I have a lot of respect for what Gary Pinkle is as a man and as a person. I, I did an interview with him. It was my first interview for this podcast, actually. And, and I asked him, I said, does it bother you? the perception and or the way that your tenure in Columbia ended? Because November 2015 yeah. was a signature. But you know what, Tim? I don't know if and he, he had said a it, choice. That's, he said, well, I mean, I, I understand. Yeah. But you know there are conspiracy theories yeah, on I it. Yeah, I know. But you know what? Here's the deal. And he said it didn't bother him just for the record because he said, I know the truth. So, right. I mean, I'm aware of it, but I don't care. He goes, what was I going to do? Yeah, you but know? no, I think, you know, from the health standpoint, I know people were like, oh, yeah, sure. But they want to tie it to the protest, all right? So you got a player or players who believe in something. So what are you going to do, throw them off the team? So when you start talking, and I heard people, they got to take the scholarships away from them. That's it. Hey, you know what? You want to do that? Then why don't you apply for the paperwork to go to Division Three, Because you won't get a good athlete who comes from a good home that's going to go there. So you can forget that. That just shows you how limited we have become in our state of Missouri, where we think this is a good old days where they're going to do what we tell them to do. No, no, no we're not. That's not going to happen. And I know people go back and forth on the issue on how legit it was. Uh, and I understand that argument, but these kids thought it was something they needed to speak up about. And as a coach, either you're with them or you're against them. And if you're against them, then say adios to your program because it's too easy for other schools to recruit against yeah. you. I, uh, I've always kind of felt like 
there are some similarities. I'm curious what you think on this. Among Missouri fan, the hardcore Missouri fan, mm-hmm. and the hardcore blues fan. And I th- yeah, my cousins. I think it's yeah, because they both haven't really won a championship, passionate, and have some heartbreaking memories along the road to not getting there. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you hit it on the head. And whether it's a fifth down or Tony Van Zandt going down with an injury or Owen Nolan scoring from the Zamboni <laughs> area. I mean, Roman so many, was just distracted. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's interesting we even have this conversation about downs, downers. You know, I've seen enough where I don't really get mad about games. I've taken maybe four or five games home with me where I was just pissed off to the point where um, that I, I couldn't let it go. One of them was uh, the fifth down. You Were you at that? Yeah. Oh, wow. And Did I you know what was going on when it yeah, was? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Bill Wilkerson yeah. was aware of it, was I, I knew not? what was going on. It was funny because I, I know Eric B. Enemy pretty well. He's now the offensive coordinator with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. And E.B. was on the field. <laughs> And so I was, and so even to this day, I will remind him of that. He said, "Well, you all gonna let it go, man." You know, I was like, "No, I'll never let it go." I was pissed off about that. The game seven that the Blues lost against San Jose, two thousand. I remember coming home that night, and I got in bed, and my wife was half asleep, and I just said, "Damn." <laughs> uh, the other two times were recently when we. Blue one against the Boston Red Sox. What are you talking about? The World, World Series? Series. Okay, because I'm like, oh, if you're getting yeah. upset about regular season yeah. games, man. Blue against the Red Sox. 2013, and we, I assume. And then we kicked that one against the Cubs, where we had them right in the crosshairs and let them off the hook. Talking about the 2015 NLDS. Yeah, I was never more mad walking on a plane than I was those two trips. Wow. Because I saw what was happening, and. You know, when you get that far, if you don't execute the fundamentals, you, you lose, period. I don't care what it is. And I'll give you another good example. Hey, if Nelson Cruz catches a routine fly ball, then we don't have a World Series. So, was, you know, the, the fundamentals and the routine things you don't execute, you're going to lose mm-hmm. at that level mm-hmm. because the good teams take advantage of it. Those, those are the times that I was just – you didn't want to be around me. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I'll never forget when we got to Chicago – this is when I really lost it. I wanted to get a shrimp cocktail. I get a shrimp cocktail late at night, and it was a bug in it. I'm sure the floors below me heard me because I <laughs> lost it. I was already pissed <laughs> off. So this was room service? Yeah. Yeah, I was already pissed off because of what happened. Right. And we had to Jaime come up. Garcia had thrown away yes. a bunch, if I'm not mistaken. And by the way, he was part of the other one, too. So, uh, so, so I'm just, no, he wasn't part of it. That was uh, somebody else. We didn't score in that inning against San Francisco. We had, uh, who was the guy at the end of the trail on the ropes? Uh, because t- if you if you tell me what year we're in, I'll uh, be able to. It was the I'll guy be- that was on the end of the trail. They signed that long. Oh, Barry time. Zito. Barry Zito. We he had Zito on the road. And the Cardinals and we didn't cash him in yes. the second or third inning, yes. and it was a wrap. Yes. So that's a good. That's a good one. That's yeah. a good one to be and pissed. So about. anyway, I my room served, and so I was so upset that they sent me 
a bottle of Jordan wine the two nights we were there. And when we went back the next year, I had two more bottles waiting for me. <laughs> and I don't get mad about a lot of things at this stage in my life. But, man, those are the things that sent me over the edge. <laughs> I, I figured these games would be like back in like the 70s oh, or 80s. This is fresh stuff. Oh, um, I tell you the game I was most stunned at. Blues playing Detroit double overtime. I 96 the we goal When Eisenman right. picks Gretzky's pocket and comes across the ice and hits, a, takes a perfect shot, and all you heard was tink, and it was in, and it was over. And I was like, I'll be damned. I think this thing is over. And I was just kind of like numb. Because it was such a great game. Um, the other time I said I'll be damned is when the Rams won the Super Bowl. Jay Randolph Jr. and I were together. And I said to him, they got to throw to Bruce. He's got single coverage. And before I get coverage out of my mouth, they hit him with the pass. He goes in and scores because he, he beats Dorsett. Because Dorsett was leaning. Dorsett, what I saw was Dorsett was shaded too much to the middle. And I think Warner either was play action or he pumped fake. And Dorsett just turned to his right. And when he did that, basically Bruce was all along with this guy. They threw the, the, the route, and he went in and scored. And when the game was over, I looked at Jay and I said, you know, I think we just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> and he looked at me, and we had this look on our We didn't know whether to hug each other or celebrate. <laughs> But we just said, I mean, damn, I think I think we just won something. <laughs> and those are the moments you kind of look back and remember and you kind of say, this is what makes our business yeah. fun. Yeah. The relationship you have with so many people in St. Louis, both athletes and coaches, but then media people, I think that makes you like the, the, the man of the people. And one of your relationships is Mike Shannon. Yeah. yeah. And that's really – well. <laughs> I mean, because he's a fascinating character. He is, he's a, he yeah. is a part of St. Louis forever. There'll never be another one like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Mike and I have known each other 1982, I guess. I first got into business. And um, I was walking in the press box. And he I, apparently I must have had on my forehead, I am an idiot and I'm lost. <laughs> and he came up and introduced himself to me. How about that? I'm Mike Shannon. I said, yeah, Mike Claiborne, he said. And so he kind of picked my brain about some things. And we just always kind of said hey and stayed in touch. And, you know, and then uh, as we got older, we really started to have fun. And we, st- I think doing the show live from Shannon's really created a bond that uh, I have been so proud to have with him. Uh, he's he's a different person. He's a kind person. He's obviously funny. I can finish the stories for him now because I've heard <laughs> them all. And he's been very sharing and caring. I mean, Mike is a guy that whether we are at the gas station getting gas or we're playing Augusta National, he'll always go out of his way to make sure that Whoever he's with, he will introduce you as his friend or whatever. He never holds that A-B conversation and you see your ass out of it. He doesn't do that. Uh, Caring person, funny guy. And what's even more funny about it is when he makes a funny and he realizes it's funny, (laughs) that he's really good. There's there's one story. John Rooney and John and I sit next next to each other in the booth at home. So the Bella Twins, the wrestlers. If of course, I'm sure. So they're going to be in the booth the next day. So, you know, they give you a little bio thing on what they're coming for. And Mike says, and they have a picture. 
He says, I'm taking a look at the Bella twins here, and congratulations to their parents. <laughs> and Rooney and I just look at each other. And so now Rooney's laughing so hard that his glasses are fogging up, right? And I'm like, I'm as red as a cap. I'm laughing. And Mike kind of just looks at us with that grin and starts laughing and realizes, hey, I got off a good one with these guys. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's such a unique relationship. Uh, we've laughed together. We've cried together. Uh, we've had so many great times. He's always been, I think, maybe the best teammate one could ever have. And when you look and talk to some of his former teammates, I'll give you a good example. Scipio Spinks. Scipio Spinks. Walked in the booth the other day. He's a scout for Arizona. He said, man, I knew we were playing the Cardinals, and I just want to come up and say hey to you. And just say, just tell you how much I enjoy being around you. And then Mike goes into telling stories about Scipio. And just to see that connection that he has with people, his relationship with Gibson or McCarver, you know, um, and Brock, those guys are his his crew. And they, I think whenever you have a great run of champions or, or being very competitive, there's always a guy like Mike Shannon, not necessarily as gregarious, but a glue guy mm-hmm. that you always wanted to kind of hang around because you knew he was going to do something that you will remember. And I think that's Mike. And for me to work with him and him to be the teammate that he is, you know, I don't make any bones, but if it wasn't for Mike Shannon, I probably wouldn't be here, period. And what do you mean by that? Because he supported me in being more involved with what the broadcast is all about. He thought I could do it. Uh, whether it's start a game or the pregame show or doing play-by-play, because play-by-play was not my mission. You know how guys, everybody today wants, well, I want to do, I want your job. I want to do play-by-play. Well, I didn't want to do that when I was growing up. I thought it was cool. I was as good as anybody in the backyard like every other kid, <laughs> but I wanted to be a talk show host. I wanted to talk about everything instead of being locked into one game right. all the time. But he has been just an incredible teammate. And uh, I couldn't – there aren't enough words to describe my appreciation for that yeah. because of what he's meant to me. And we've had so much fun on that show, the guests that we've had. That show, I'm telling you. And people have tried to duplicate it. And Really? I people – how can well, you try I mean, to duplicate that? I, I mean, not locally. I mean, uh, there have been some shows that people have tried to run out. But this thing is so unique because, hey, who says no to Mike Shannon? I think one of the tributes, Randy Johnson, a Hall of Famer, who had a caustic relationship with the media. Yeah, it was right. He didn't want you to take a picture of him. Remember, he's in New York. Yeah, it's on the street in New York So City. Mike goes up to him one day and says, hey, Randy. Well, Mike and Randy knew each other because Randy wanted to meet Bob Gibson, and Mike set it up. So Mike said, hey, Randy, we do a show in St. Louis. You know, love to have you just come on and sit in. This is how we do it. We just have a good time. And he's like, uh-huh. I've never done anything like this. He said, well, you ought to try and do it before you get out of the game. So he says, okay. And Tim, he came over and he wouldn't shut up. Really? One of the most fascinating people we've ever had on the show. And when we were done, he said, so we're done? (laughs) Yeah, we're done. Uh, We've had generals on. We had Billy Bob Thornton on, Bob Knight. and We've had so many people that every year somebody asks us, well, who's your favorite? And I'm like, I can't even remember all the people we've had because I felt like if we do the show, if we get one great thing out of a person, then it was worth the whole investment. Mm -hmm. Like last year, we had Euchre 
Come on. How was that? So here's a kicker. We thought we had Euchre set up, right? And then he says, well, you know, I never got the message, you know, and maybe there was a, a lapse in communication somewhere, but we went through all the channels. So we were under the impression he wasn't going to do it. And, you know, I'm not going to beg anybody. We had asked Dan McLaughlin to sit in because, you know, he's next door. And I said, hey, Dan, we might be. Yeah, sure. You know, Dan's a good friend. And about three or four minutes before the show starts, he walks in with his wife and her family. And they say, he pulls up a chair and off we go. <laughs> and it was a riot. <laughs> McLaughlin sticks his head in the door. He just said, you don't need me. I'm going to go to the car and listen to this. So, uh, but, yeah, we've had so many good guests, man. And and Mike gives me the latitude to not just be the guy who gets us in and out of breaks, but ask good questions. Uh, And he's always felt it's our show. The the greatest compliment that – we occasionally get on our show, and I want to emphasize occasionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rare occasion. Yeah, rarely is probably the better, the, better, the better adverb there, is I couldn't get out of the car. I was enjoying it so much. And the Cardinals had a rain yeah. delay a year or two ago, and they just went to a live at Shannon's, and I don't even know mm-hmm. who you guys are with. And I'm just like, this is the best radio. It's yeah. you and Mike, and I don't even know who the guest was. But, uh, because you felt, you felt like, and I don't know what's really going on, but you feel like it's like they just got Mike sitting there and it's some guys hanging out at a bar and just yeah, BSing. That's it. And you're like invading. You're like voyeuristically listening in on the conversation. And, and you know, we, we've, we've had guys who would sit and have a cocktail. They'll eat or whatever. There's one night, Mike, this is, this is a priceless one. <laughs> We're doing Ron Santo. So, you know, Ron and Mike didn't speak to each other for like 40 years. Why is there that? was an issue no off the feed. Well, it was an issue. didn't involve them, but it was more of a misunderstanding. So they, they got on the right page. They, they figured out what the issue was, uh-huh. and they got it resolved. So Mike invites them on the show. And so Ron is there. He's having a glass of wine. And so Mike said, what are, what are you drinking there? He said, well, I'm drinking your wine. He said, oh, I got something better than that. He sends somebody downstairs to the vault, and they bring out the good stuff. And now here they go. <laughs> and they're doing the show, and they are giggling and cackling like two kids. <laughs> and I get a buddy of mine, Ron Culper. Major League oh, Empire. Yeah, He's sure. listening. He said, he texted me, he said, they're both in the bag, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't know if they're in the bag, but they know where the bag is right now. <laughs> but it was great radio uh-huh. because they had so much to talk about. And, and we had a lot of guests like that who you just didn't know what you were going to get out of them. We had Gibson and and uh, Bill White on. Bill White, to me, the most, the second most influential African-American in baseball ever behind Jackie Robinson. He and Bill were roommates. They start telling stories, and Bill White's telling stories about Gibson. And Bill says, hey, Mike, who invited this guy? Who thought this was a good idea? I mean, they had so much fun together. McCarver was the same way. And one of the things about the show, when we get these guys on who've known each other for 50-plus years, 60 years in some cases, to see the love these guys have for each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, you hope that you have friends like that when you get that age. And that's what I walk away from every night, seeing this from with my own eyes, what they do on and off the air. And, and it's it's been a blast. And, and I appreciate you saying that. Uh, 
Oh, I love it. We love get it. more compliments the next day from people who say, I was just sitting in the driveway listening. And exactly. I didn't turn that's it off. the best compliment. When somebody doesn't want to get out of the car. Yeah. And that's what it is. So we, we have a blast doing that. Um, Do you miss doing the daily talk show? Sometimes. Do you? Yeah. Like when um, there's something going on. Yeah. And you want to be able to. I want to kind of chime in. I think. If the situation were right, I would do something oh, with somebody. Duly noted, sir. Duly noted. Uh, you know, there's a handful of people I've enjoyed working with. Well, you know what? I think I have the record for most people ever work with. You Really? <laughs> I, I don't think there's anybody I haven't worked with. Uh, I, some people two and three times. Uh, Bob Ramsey, probably my best friend, working with him. The fun we had. You know, and as he used to say, man, we kill us, don't we? Because we just felt like we were having a show. It was just he and I having yeah. fun. You know, I worked with Frank for a while, and Frank and I, who was a good friend, I, I think I've known Frank longer than anybody in the business. Frank used to have a radio show on KWMU, and he would invite me to come on. It would be on Sunday night, okay, the prime time for Absolutely. radio. Absolutely. And we knew his parents are listening and my parents are listening. <laughs> and that might have been it. And we had so much fun. And we disagree on things. Uh, but I, I know Frank better than anybody. I was giving him grief the other night. When Frank starts to make a plea for a guy, he always says, yeah, he's a, he loves his wife. He always uses that one. And, and so we would have a fun with that last <laughs> night. So I know Frank as well as anybody, and I consider him a great friend. Uh, you know, I've worked with so many people, but yeah, I, I would consider it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think today, and I listen to radio shows, um, some local. Um, I listen to Newey Scruggs, a guy who started his broadcasting career, Channel 2. He's an intern for Martin. He's got a national show on NBC Sports Radio. It very, It's a d- very diverse show with subject matter. Um, there's some other people that I kind of go in. I'm not a big yeller and screamer. I like to hear people get into some real good subject matter. The problem is I had to walk away from ESPN because everything was NFL-driven. Newsflash, there's a lot more going on in the world than the NFL. So, yeah, I, I think about it. I mean, it would be so – if it was something like this. Where you could, could set could up shop in house, Palm Beach Gardens, oh, yeah, Jupiter. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And I could make a decent salary doing it, I'd, I'd do it. Hope you're enjoying our conversation with Mike Claiborne here on the Tim McKernan Show. If you are enjoying our conversations, whether it be this one or previous ones or questions from the audience, know that without our sponsors, it's not possible. And that's a real thing. Uh, And James Carlton and the Carlton State Farm Agency are one of our top sponsors. As a matter of fact, they've been with us from the very beginning. You might be sitting there thinking that, You don't know what the hell you're listening to or what the hell I'm talking about. But know this, know this, James Carlton does. And if you don't believe it, you can go online and see the Facebook reviews that his company's gotten. And you can see the Google reviews his company has gotten. And you know that they know what they're doing. If you're in front of your computer while listening to this, go to carltoninsurance.net right now. And just get a quote to see what the good word is. Ask yourself this question. What's my insurance company doing for me? Then go check them out on Google and Facebook and see what they're doing for others in your community. The good news is you probably already have the product that James offers. The bad news, if you're not with James, you're without question sacrificing service, 
and likely paying too much. I think a lot of insurance agencies, people just do it on their own or they have one assistant. I visited James's office and uh, my gosh, there's two floors and there are people all over the place to make sure that when you call, you're talking to somebody directly and not being put through a switchboard and, and dealing with all kinds of headaches. It's not the way they do it, and that's why the customer service is second to none. It's the James Carlton State Farm Agency. James Carlton, a State Farm insurance agent. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. I yeah. think people, I mean, I think people miss hearing you on a, on a yeah, daily and I, and basis. Yeah, you're right. I miss it, too, just like I was telling you. One thing I probably wouldn't be short on is good guests. Uh, I had someone ask me recently, how much do you want to sell that phone for? And I was like, what do you oh, mean? He said, yeah, man. well, the numbers you have, I said, I could sell it to you, but it's coded. <laughs> if you think Jim Brown's number is just listed there like Jim Brown, <laughs> no, nah, it's not going to happen. Gonna, yeah. That gets me to, we were sitting at the picnic table at spring training about two, three weeks ago. And I just was making conversation. What did you do last night? The cat, of course, he got pizza and he sat in his hotel room. That's his, that's his go-to. Which, book. by the way, I don't know if people know this about him or not. I've done this a long time. There's not a person I've ever worked with who is more dedicated and works harder as what he does at Fox Sports Midwest than Jim Hayes. How about that? I know people think, oh, he's just a guy that likes to goof off. No. He is the best at what he does. Period. And I don't know how they do it anywhere else. I think St. Louis is so fortunate to have him on the broadcast because I watch this every day. And I see that he, you know, yeah, he likes to play grab ass with people from time to time. But there's nobody in the business that puts better and harder work in Jim Hayes. Wow, what a great compliment. Period. God Take bless. Him any well, day I mean, I've been week. working with him for 14 yeah. years almost now. And you get him in a different light. But when it's, when it's time to put the necktie on, Look out! Yeah. No, I got you know I, I I have ultimate respect for for what he does. Yeah. Well, yeah. Clearly, the players in the organization they have do a great deal yeah. of respect for him. You can you can certainly tell yeah. that. Um, along those lines, when it comes to the spring training <laughs> conversation, I was saying. Okay, wait, let me tell you one quick story about the cat. How? Because this thing lasts forever. This thing is like a marathon, right? Now we can talk forever. Oh yeah, you okay. want to go on for so, yeah? So the only so, thing we got is a tea time to tend to. All right, so here's the deal. <laughs> I had a very dear friend of mine that I lost uh, a couple of years ago, and I couldn't get back. Um, it was She was dying, and they put her on the phone, and I was talking to her before she died, and, and oh, I couldn't man. get back. Oh. I was a disaster, okay? I was, I, I've never been more devastated about the loss of a friend outside of my family. And I'm sitting in the dugout, and I'm just, man, I, I'm thinking about just getting up and going back to St. Louis. I don't know what I'm going to do there, but I, I just didn't know if I could work. The cat comes up to me, and he kind of knew what was going on. And he looks at me, and he starts breaking out in a show tune. <laughs> I can't remember which, which show tune it was. And I just looked at him, man, and it was like, no, no, no. And now I'm, you know, what this this tragedy I'm dealing with, it, it gave me enough room to push the reset button because of what he did, and it was just his way of just saying, "Man, I'm here for you," and yeah. that's the best way he could do it. Yeah. I'll never forget it. That's I laugh classic. about it. Uh, I was at a funeral not long ago before I came down here, and somebody was next to me, and they were really taking it hard. 
I couldn't think of a show tune at that time, but that's what I always think of when you want to lighten the moment. Go show tune. Yeah, exactly. Go show tune. Then he busts those things out by I'm twice a show. I'm sitting in the dugout in Wrigley Field, and I'm just like, I'm almost crying as hard as it is raining outside, and he breaks out with that. I'll never forget it. God bless the cat. Well, the cat also prides himself outside of the show tune performances, which were wonderful. I mean, he does West Side Story like nobody's business. But he prides himself on getting done with the game, going back into the room, and watching TV. Yeah. So that's his move. So I asked him what he was doing last night. He said, oh, I was watching this. Doug, of course, was watching The Bachelor. That's his signature really? move. Okay. And you're sitting at the picnic table. And I said, what'd you do last night? Figuring it might have been one of the watering holes in, in this particular neck of the woods. And that's when you said, oh, I was hanging out at Jordan's new place with Tiger and Joe Namath. And I'm like, what in the world did I just hear in the last five seconds? But that, I want the people listening to know, that is par for the course with you. That is par for the course. Um, and you might play it off now, but I know it's true. And I don't know how blessed, in the world you have this, I'm but blessed, you have it. I'm blessed to know people who know people. Um, I go back to Mike Shannon. Mike Shannon would always introduce me to people no matter who they were. When I remember sure you introducing it. me to Mike Shannon when I was down here at the University mm-hmm. of Missouri in 1998, and I worshipped Mike Shannon. Mm-hmm. I go, oh, my God, I just met Mike Shannon. And it was you who introduced me. So, so you, you, pat, you do pay that forward. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but I've been just, man, just right place, right time. Uh, somebody knows me and says he's an all right guy. I'll give you a good example. So Huey Lewis in the News is one of my favorite bands. Oh, how about that? Playing Alton here like an I know, and I'm trying to figure out if we're on the road or not. (laughs) So I had met Huey a long time ago when he played the only time at the Muni. Somebody got us backstage, and I got a picture at home, me, him, and another buddy of mine. So Tony has him perform at one of his ARF events, and so he says, hey, get over here. I want to introduce you to somebody. And so he says to Huey, he says, this is one of the broadcasters in the market. He said, he's a good guy. And when he said that, you know, Huey, oh, okay, cool. Because, you know, when somebody says, oh, you got to be careful of this guy, then, you know, it's all of a sudden like you're climbing Mount Everest, you know, with socks on, and it doesn't work. So i just been – I think the reason why I've been blessed in that position I just try and be good to people. Yeah. I, I'm respectful of their time and, and what they do. And I'm not that guy that's like, hey, can we I get an autograph? I just kind of blend in like with the furniture in a lot of cases. And people, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not the easiest guy to forget. Remember, I'm in a predominantly white environment where the black guy stands out a lot more. I don't play the color card, but when they say, oh, you know, the black guy or the round guy or the glasses, whatever they say, you know, they got it. Yeah. So, so over time, people remember you and, you know, so it, but in every situation is different. Some people are more cordial than others. You know, I've been blessed to have mutual friends of a lot of other, we, we share in different regards. So, um, like the Joe Namath thing, Joe Namath, uh, I have a friend who has a relative who lives across the street from Joe that I met in that environment. And he remembered and we shot the breeze who, by the way, Joe Namath was Tim Van Gelder's roommate with the New York Jets. Wow. 
I brought up I brought up Van Gelder's name to him, and he said, "You know, he might have been the best roommate I ever had." <laughs> and I said, "Was well, it for his quarterback?" And he said, "Well, I wasn't thinking of that." But <laughs> so I tell Van Gelder the story, and the smile he had on his face that Namath remembered him was was a hoot. Oh, how great is that? So, but yeah, it's just being right place, right time. But you have a rapport with Michael. You have a legitimate yeah, rapport with yeah, Michael. Ours goes back. Gosh, to the eighties when he was a rookie or second wow. year in the league. He came into St. Louis again for Coca Cola. Mutual friend of ours introduced us and we kinda hung out and talked and then he would come back and play golf and you know, he's a friend of Ozzy and Willard Harrell and some other guys locally and we would play. Uh, it's funny, Jay, Jay Randolph, just, has Jay ever told you the story about when he played he with him? He played with him, didn't he? But I don't know the details So here's on the it. kicker. So we're playing, you know, he plays 36 a day. Jordan plays 36 yeah. a day. So we're playing Winghaven in the morning. And at the turn, he says, hey, Mike, you know anybody else out here I can play with? Because this guy don't have any more money. He cleaned out the pro at the time, right? <laughs> so I'm thinking, I got somebody for his ass. So I call Jay and I say, hey, Jay. <laughs> You want to play this afternoon? He said, yeah. Who you play? I said, I'm going to put you with Jordan. I can't play because I don't do 36. So they play, and apparently Jay was Jay was holding his own. And he said, I can. when it was over, I said, well, how'd it go? He said, I can see why he's Jordan because he can get in your head with the best of them. And after that, what I would run into, and I wouldn't run into him a lot, but he would always ask me about Jay. Hey, how's he doing? I'm like, yeah, he's still waiting on a rematch, you know. So, uh, but I've known him over the, I don't see him as much. I ran into Who him. Who wasn't it, Jordan or Jay? I, I, you know what? It might have been a push. Really? Because, you know, Jay can golf his ball. I know this. Here's the one great thing about Jay. Jay's the quickest golfer you'll ever play with. There aren't a lot of practice swings. Oh, no, and he no, just no. swats the ground and the thing goes he off just, with a nice little just, right to left. Yeah. And uh, so anyway... Michael, you know, and again, I so Jordan t- runs his mouth while they're playing. Is that that's kind of his standard play? Tim, ask Vince Coleman. <laughs> nobody, nobody can get in your head more than him. Really? Yes, he is. Uh, he's the best. Do you have well, any what idea what, what I mean? What he's? What he's? What is he? You can't make that. <laughs> you know, I've seen your game. You, you lucky you even playing this way. I mean, just <laughs> things to just get your mind off of it, or, or bet you a thousand. You know, I mean, he'll, you know, money's no option. So it's like a five-foot putt. And yeah, now all of a sudden right. you're sweating exactly. a five-foot yeah. putt because there's a chaos. So he, he's one of the great trash talkers of all time. But overall, the other people that I've met, I met a lot through the business of interviewing them and staying in touch with them. Um, you know, I've just been – I think it's more than I'm blessed to have people who were connected also that have – thought enough of me to introduce me to this person and say, hey, I want you to meet such and such. He's really cool or she's really cool. Um, So that's kind of how it's gone. I I think one of the the more fun things, I had a friend of mine, Halle Berry used to live with him. Oh, my God. We're going to go Halle berry Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) so... I broke up an argument they were having one night. You broke up an argument with a friend of yours and Halle Berry. I was staying with him in L.A. And she had moved out there, and they were living together. When was this? Is this like at the beginning of Halle Berry? Or this we is talk- the beginning. This is, okay. Yeah. This is boomerang Halle this Berry. This is when she was coming from Cleveland. Okay? okay. And he was from Cleveland. And so they, she wasn't happy about the fact he and I kept going out every night, and she wasn't going with us. Because he wanted to, you know, I don't know why a guy, you know, here you guys. <laughs> 
This at home? You want to go hang? I know there's a lot of fish in the ocean, but you won't ever see a a prized possession like this. So they got in this really heated argument, and I kind of. So Halle Berry is mad at him because he wants to hang out with you. That is what we are having. Basically. Oh, my God. So now I get them calmed down, and they eventually break up because he just couldn't. Stop hanging out with you. Right. Well, no, it wasn't me. (laughs) Apparently, it was a lot of other people just hanging out with. So I'm at this function, and a friend of mine says, hey, I want to introduce you to Halle Berry. So we introduced. I said, you know, you and I know each other. We've met before. And she kind of looks at me sideways, and I gave her the name. She says, oh, my God. (laughs) And then we talk about that. She said, you know, I thought he was going to kill me that night. And I said, yeah, I did, too, you know, because he, he, he had a short fuse. But anyway, she said, yeah, I never forgot that. And I said, I didn't think you would. So she was very nice and gracious, and we kind of moved on. So fast forward to David Justice, who is a fraternity brother of mine. So we would talk about So I took my daughter on the field. God, she couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old. And I never do it. So he's on the field, and he's taking batting practice, and he comes over. We start small talk. He had just gotten divorced from Halle Berry. And I said, hey, DJ, this is my daughter, Taylor. Hey, Taylor, how you doing? She said, why are you not married to Halle Berry anymore? I said, ask the tough questions. <laughs> exactly. I, I said, she's auditioning for entertainment tonight, so you know, don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, so I kind of knew that situation. But, man, I, going back to the whole connection thing, I'm not as blessed as some people to be that so-called insider, but I've just been fortunate enough to – to be around good people who thought enough of me to include them in, in what they do. Yeah. I thought one of the – it's a, it's, a, it's a combined tragic but honorary compliment, uh, and, I, and obviously I hope it comes off that way. When Brian Burwell passed away, mm. as tragic as it gets, uh, yeah. s- especially when you compound that with his dear friend Joe Strauss a year later passing that was a, away. Maybe that might have been the toughest two years I've ever gone through. I'm telling you. Yeah. And you – you know, handled Brian's memorial service. Well, thank you. And I thought that then I realized, I mean, this wasn't like broadcast anywhere. So what we're talking about, maybe 150 other people even are aware of. But I thought that was such for as tragic as it was, it was handled so beautifully because so many people, you know, spoke about Brian. And I thought the best thing about it, Mike, uh, and I remember you and I talked on the phone. I was getting ready to fly down to the SEC championship. I just, for whatever reason, remember that. And you called me asking how I was doing because we were both obviously upset about Brian passing. And I said, the thing that I love out of this is that so many people, many of whom are racist, mm-hmm. so many people who had bitched about this guy for so many years uh, and clouded it, being, I just disagree with where he's coming from. Oh, you don't like because he's black. I mean, let's call it how it is here. But, there goes the dog whistle. Yeah. <laughs> but I said because of the way so many people, but especially you, memorialized him. Uh, I remember you said this to me as I was getting ready to get on the plane. He goes, you know, he goes, I think a lot of people now know they got that one wrong. They yeah. got that one wrong. Yeah. That you might not have liked him and disagreed yeah. with him, but he was a great Great he was. guy. And, and, you know, um, I think people didn't realize how connected Brian was with all of the, the the national media people who showed up for it. And I, I tell you, the night before I went out to dinner with Charlie Steiner. I saw you guys. Michael night. Wilbon, J.A. Adonde, and somebody else. And we sat at the table. We were having dinner. And I just said, hey, we got to break this. I said, let's go around the table. Let's everybody give us one good Brian story. So everybody got 
got their say in. And with each person, you could sense that one more blink of the eye, and here we go. Mm-hmm. And I was last, and I said, I'm good. And because I'd heard all I needed to hear. Because, you know, we don't lose people a lot in our, you know, our business. You know, guys don't shoot at us, and, you know, we're not being, you know, we're, we don't wear uniforms, and, you know, we don't have fatalities you know, we're not police officers or first responders. So when we lose somebody, it's it's kind of tragic. Brian and I go way back. I'm the reason Brian came to St. Louis, because they were trying to get him to come. Uh, the post was. And I got a call from Larry Starks. He said, hey, man, I'm trying to get Burwell to come. And I don't know, man. He's heard a lot of things about St. Louis. I don't know. Well, his, his, his fact-finding has been true. But uh, I said, so I called him, and I said, hey, look, man, you need to come to St. Louis. And I don't want to hear nothing else about it. And I gave him the reasons. I said, I can turn you on some radio and some other stuff. And your family will know my family and my family's friends. And so he gave it a shot. And he came and he dealt with a lot of, can you say bullshit? Absolutely. Please do. He dealt with a lot of bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Um, For a lot of different reasons. But he always took the high ground because he never wanted to make you feel like you had won. But he was a good person. He was a great friend. And the same with Joe. You know, Joe Strauss and I, the one thing I would look forward to with Joe, we would go out and have our annual round of golf, just him and me. And we were both horseshit, all right? (laughs) But we had so much fun. And maybe we got into sports. Maybe we talked about family or whatever. And then I said, Joe, you know what, man? This is too valuable. We need to do this twice a year. We got to go to dinner. And we spent more time together. And, and those two guys taught me so much about people, uh, writing, two of the best writers, because they knew how, as Brian would say, I can paper cut anybody to die, uh-huh. you know. And Joe was Joe wrote some scathing pieces that St. Louis was not ready for about their beloved Cardinals, but you could always find them. How about the story Brian wrote about Pujols being a jackass? And everybody's like, oh, my God, they were scared to death. Burwell was right there the next day, and Albert came out. And I remember they walked down the first baseline to talk. And I think Albert thought he was going to push Brian around. You know, Brian was like, no, I dealt with bigger chumps than you. And so he told Brian, he said, well, you got to understand, you know, I had a lot of issues going on with my family and everything. And he kind of he tried to play the family card. And Brian said, well, what about all the other days when your family was all right? Why were you an asshole then? Ooh. And, you know, at that point, they, they got along from that point on. But And Joe was the same way. They're not going to get pushed around. And I never forgot how that was dealt with. But, yeah, Brian, was a, he was a great friend. And he wasn't a great friend just because he was the only black guy we had. <laughs> he was just a good guy. Yeah. And we played golf together. He was a terrible golfer. And I know he's looking down at me saying, oh, we'll get you when you get here. Uh, but so we had a time. So we had a little golf group, a bunch of guys we play on Father's Day. And he and I played. We played together. And I always thought Burwell would cheat. You know, he's like, I, I had a five. Five? Shit, you had five right in the middle of the fairway. We didn't even got on the green yet. So we would go back and forth. And there was this one time he was in a bunker, and we were sitting in the cart, 
And all you could see was the top of his head because he was deep in the bunker. And then all of a sudden you would see sand going up <laughs> and more sand. And then you couldn't see the top of his head. <laughs> so uh, he got out and he, he came out of the bunker. Sand was all over. He said, go ahead. I know you got something to say. <laughs> Yeah, man, we just fell out laughing, man. So those are the things I miss yeah. about him, about that and uh, being around his family. His wife has the most gregarious laugh you'll ever hear. Yeah. You can hear her three blocks away. Dawn so, Yeah, and so I, I miss that. And one of the things that I've tried to do down here, and you and I haven't done it yet, I try to get media guys. I used to do a media thing. It said it'd be 15 years ago. I would try and get all the media types together, and we'd go somewhere like Cafe Napoli and sit outside mm-hmm. and talk and just get to know each other. Because whenever we see each other, we're always going back and forth, and we don't know each other and their families. Right. And so down here, I would take it, I would tell everybody, hey, we're going to meet at Limoncello's tonight. We're going to sit around. So all the TV guys would come, and we sit around just shoot the breeze. And that's the only time we would ever – have a chance to really get to know each other. Yeah. So I did it with Frank uh, the other night because he came down late. Because while this is our business, I do care about the people I work around. There's only a handful of people in this business I don't like. Yeah. Um, but everybody else, I kind of watch from a distance and I see what they're trying to do. So I, I try and get along with most people. There's some people I don't give a shit about. That's my ass. I don't really care. But that's a, you know what? That's on one hand. Yeah. And they yeah. Don't, they're so insignificant that I don't even th- think about it. Right. But everybody else, I like to see people get along and when they get do good work. You know, I'm not a person that's not afraid. Hey, man, I heard what you did. That was a great show. Or, man, that was a great interview. I don't care. I like people doing well. That's mm-hmm. that's what this business is all about. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, you did say, I remember you said that at Brian's memorial service. Let's make it a point to not have this be the only time we're all yeah, in the room together exactly. not working. You know, and um, and I climb up Wilbon's ass all the time about, hey, you know, quit counting your money and let's get together <laughs> and do something, you know. And so we get together and honor Brian and some other people. Uh, David Aldridge is the same way. You know, D8 was telling Fish, he ran into Fish at a game recently and was telling him about the funeral and how much it meant to him. And, you know, because Brian was very important to David Aldridge's yeah, career. Yeah, they, I do remember. He, he took that. it harder than anybody. You know, I mean, he cried like Brian still owed him money and he wasn't going to get it back. <laughs> I wasn't sure how this was working. But, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a good time for yeah. everybody. I mean, we had a chance to really – Kind of let it go. Yeah. And uh, God forbid we had that happen again. Yeah. I mean, to lose those two, yeah. I always say those are two voices of credible dissent. Yeah. Because on Twitter these days, or whether it be blogs oh, or whatever, man. you know, and anybody with a checkbook can get on the radio right now. Yeah. And you're just ripping and ripping and ripping, hoping to get attention. But those get are credible that, dissent. Yeah, credible I just dissent. I don't get that. I don't know why people feel like. I'm going to get on the air and just rip people just because I can. And what do you think? People are, oh, did you hear that? <laughs> you know, so nothing's going to happen, you know. And so I, I probably, I have tuned that out. I don't really have time for that. Right. You know, if you're not something trying to do something positive, man, you probably got, I'm, I'm the wrong guy. Right. I don't care. One of your most signature interviews was Bob Feller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got two things left that I want to make sure That's I ask fun. about. And so, and so you were hosting at KFNS Afternoon Drive, right? Yeah, Am I correct? Yeah. 
So here's what happened. Uh, Hall of Fame pitcher yeah, for those well, for early young Tykes. Uh, uh, Felipe Lopez, uh, Brock, uh, talk show host out in Frisco, called Felipe Lopez. He had some some players from the Caribbean. He said they were Felipe brain Felipe Alou, I think. Felipe Alou, yeah. Felipe Lopez, Lopez had a brilliant Lopez, time with the uh, Cardinals. Uh, you talk about a POS. Uh, oh, God. You know, he had club flip in the oh, club. Oh, man. There's some stories about him. That, anyway, uh, so Alou, this, this guy called them brain dead players, Caribbean players. Well, they fired his ass. All right. So I get Felleron. And I, it was, he was promoting something. I don't know. So I said, well, Bob, what do you like about the game today? Well, I'll tell you what I don't like about it. And I'm like, okay, this ought to be interesting. You know, I'm thinking maybe they don't throw inside or, you know, guys, are, you know, they don't have a good strike zone. He said, these Caribbean players, they don't know how to play the game. They don't know what they're doing. And I said, well, what do you mean by not knowing how to play the game? Well, you know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> you know, they put the uniform on, right? And this went on, and I'm, and I'm serious. I didn't know what he meant about not how to play the game. So he says, uh, hey, look, I don't like your tone about this. And oh, I, he said that? Yeah. And I said, what do you mean you don't like the tone? And so uh, now it's getting contentious. I said, hey, all I'm asking you is, what do you mean about Caribbean players as you singled out that's who you – you didn't single out guys from Iowa or anywhere else. I don't know what the Caribbean players do that, that rankles you. And uh, then he said something, and then I – what did I say? I forgot what Well, I, the way it ended was, you racist, yeah, and then I, you hear I, a said, click. I said, you racist? I said – he said, well, you know, I don't have to take this off you. I said, you're right, you're racist. <laughs> and then I hung up. I said, what an asshole. <laughs> so now – you know, and, and I don't I don't get mad on the air. But yeah, I know. That's you know, the thing. One of the things with me, I never leave a station mad. I don't care what happened. Uh, I don't go to bed mad, and I don't leave work mad. And um, so now it's like the number one story around the country. I get in the car at night, ESPN's running it, and, and Sean Salisbury, God bless him, he stood up and he said, I know Mike. And I know I know him well enough to know that he wasn't trying to create any issue other than trying to get to the bottom of what he felt was an important question. And I had a lot of people come to my defense. And so I started to get calls. So I called Bob Gibson, who was a Hall of Famer. And I asked him, I said, hey, because I really I, I revere the older Hall of Famer. These new ones I'm still trying to get on board with. But I, I talked to him about it. I wanted to make sure. I didn't stop. And so he said, no, he said, I, I just heard about it. I know you. He said, you got to understand, Bob Feller is not what you would call an ideal Hall of Famer with regard to how he treats people. So now I'm hearing from like, I heard from three more Hall of Famers. Two of them I didn't even know. Just called me and said, hey, I heard what happened. And uh, this is where Mike Matheny was really cool. So Mike was playing for San Francisco. Okay, San so this is must be in 05. Yeah. So San Francisco came into town, and so he said, hey, brother, I heard you you and Bob Feller got to know each other. And so I said, yeah. He said, do you know Felipe, Felipe um, Alou? I said, no, because he, he was the manager. He said, come on and introduce him to you. So he introduced him to me. He said, I think you guys ought to talk. You guys might have something to talk about. 
So I picked his brain. He was just terrific in just giving me his opinion on how the whole thing unfolded. And so then I learned later, I get a columnist from Iowa that calls me and wants to, you know, and I said, let me get one thing straight. You know, I respect the man as a, as a baseball player. I respect him more as a person who gave his time of service in the military. That's more important than how many strikeouts he had. But I just wanted to get a question answered because I thought he was going down a path that I didn't think was appropriate without a legitimate explanation. I wasn't looking for a fight, but I wasn't going to run from it. And, you know, I, I think it probably could have been handled better by both sides. And so we finished the interview. He said, can I tell you something? He said, this guy lives up here. He says he's the biggest prick there is. Nobody <laughs> likes him. And they, I was told before he died, like they have the Hall of Fame luncheon that only the players go to. No one ever sits at his table. He would bear down on, you know, Joe DiMaggio quit playing in old-timers games because of him. He tried to bear down on him in a game. Stan quit playing because of him. Because he would try and show people up. So he wasn't necessarily the most ideal person. Mm-hmm. Not that I slept better knowing it, because I believed in what I said. Yeah. You know, but it was one of those things where I got a lot of exposure for it. And, you know, we, we both moved on with our right, lives. Right, but, right, you right. Know, it is what it is. And then the morning after audience loves the two-pound carrot cake crop. <laughs> I get it all the time, and I haven't done commercial for them. <laughs> By the way, I may, be getting a, I may be giving them a call. Uh, you know, so here's the deal. We're doing these commercials, Porter Steakhouse over in Collinsville, Illinois. So they wanted me to do these, these live spots. And I would just say they got these great steak, pepper, loin, pepper, loin, pepper grill steaks, right. and they have these incredible two-pound carrot cake. <laughs> And, Tim, I don't know why that's – people just latched on. We got guys at the ballpark, Mark Walsh, a trainer, equipment guy. He's a two-pound. I get people on Twitter who – I'm like, dude. And here's the thing about it. I don't even like two-pound carrot cake. I just eat apple pie. But it sounded good. And uh, it was so cool that people still remember it. But I haven't done that commercial in maybe 20 years. <laughs> Seriously. And apparently Porter is still doing well. But when I get back, I'm going to go and just see if they still have it. So that's the story of the two-pound uh, uh, I have uh, one of the things about my career, when I started at Camelwax and left to start All Sports Radio, uh, KASP, we threw so many things on the wall. Um, we really kind of made only guy who was doing live spots other than us at the time was Jack Carney. Okay. And he was dead. really, we were doing live spots or everything. We did, we did shows from strip club. I am aware. Amateur night. I, I am aware. Like you were Rick, in the hot tub, hot tub, uh, <laughs> amateur night. I am the father of amateur night. I was the <sighs> MC of the first one. <laughs> and, uh, I never forget. There was a woman, that came out, and she had an she had an incredible body. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and she had a woman come up and join her. Oh, God bless America! Yes, uh, yeah, you know you're here. Yeah, you're right in my wheelhouse now. <laughs> I knew you perk up after that. And Tim, you know when you see certain people try that, you say, Nah, I don't know if that's me. These two were like Rembrandt at the Louvre in Paris. Okay? Oh my it was like, word! It was incredible. So 
Every this one guy, he ran out of cash. He threw his debit card up on the stage, right? So now, now uh, uh, I come out. I was like, "All right, how about a nice hit?" I said, "All right, you know how this works. We have first place, second place, and third place. All right, now we know who's won first place. Who wants to play? Who wants to compete for second place? Because this was a wrap. All right, and I'm gonna make this thing so good. I think I got a shot at. I think I think I got a shot at crowning the winner when it's over with." So, so then this this other guy brings up his girlfriend. She wasn't that attractive, and I'm being very kind. She had these uh, helium balloons on a ribbon tied to her nipples, and guys were looking at her, and and so like. Thirty seconds into her first dance, guys are walking away like somebody had just shitting on the floor. And you smell it. So, so here's the kicker. The kicker was after halfway through the first song, he's the only guy sitting. He's just sitting there, just watching it, man. He's just loving it, man. And uh, but no, we had a great time with that. Uh, a lot of things happened at Amateur Night that. Uh, that will go un- unmentioned, but, uh, <laughs> but it was a great time for me. And, and the all sports factor at the time was so much fun because, you know, I'm working with Rammer, Kevin Slayton was part of it, uh, Rob Fisher, Rick Wallace. Uh, Jennings was in there, right? Out of the- Jay was yeah. there. I mean, man, we had so – and we had the right guy working for it. Rich Gray mm-hmm. was our, our, our general manager. He put the whole thing together. It was an incredible time in my career. Uh, that I've been able to parlay into what I'm doing mm-hmm. now. And I, I have one of the best situations there is uh, for so many reasons that include working around good people, doing what you like doing, uh, and nobody fucking with you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they have to show up. They tell me what they want me to do. And like, yeah, okay, sure, we can do that. And I always try and find a way to find goodness and middle ground and everything. I don't really get caught up in a lot of issues uh, even my politics, you know, because, oh, you're black. You got to be a Democrat. Well, I'm more of a moderate. I try and find something good in both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's hard for some people to, to understand because it's the United States of America. It's not the right or the left, you know, and they have their values. And I get it. Some of them I agree with. Some of them I don't. But it's our country. And I try and find middle ground about almost everything, Mm -hmm. and work from there. So being the voice of reason is fun for me, and being a good listener, I think for people who are listening, and I don't know why anybody, any parent would have his kid listening to this. (laughs) You know how they say, hey, come here, I want you to listen to this guy. Yeah, (laughs) that didn't happen. Let him go outside and play. I don't even know if they do that anymore. But um, I think part of the way you're successful in this business, and you have this quality, you have to be a good listener. You have to listen to what people say. I've never done an interview with a piece of paper in front of me because I don't want to miss something that you're saying. If I'm interviewing you and I'm interviewing you and I ask you about this year's team and you might say, hey, Tim, I just want to tell you, man, I'm the guy who really killed Kennedy. And, and you're I'm sitting like, there on the yeah, script. And so the bullpen for this year, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I go on to something else. You know, I, I don't want to miss it because it may be something, their voice inflection or their physical 
statement of how they say things that may get you to yes. peel off the next Could layer with you more. to get something else that's even more intriguing. Um, you know, I, not to the point where I'm like, Oprah, I'm going to make you cry. Although I've had a couple of people have gotten emotional. Um, but, you know, you, I just think you got to be a better listener. Yeah. And I think that applies to the world. We don't listen, man. You know, we, we, we got our own agenda, and, and we just move on and screw the other guy. And, and that's not how it should be, man. Well, Life's too short. Yeah. Man. Well, I mean, I, have, uh, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. You, this you, you, you could have you you just told the, the, the helium nipple story, and we could have had 30 <laughs> seconds. I mean, that was great. But now we got all the other stuff, and I'm sure I left stuff out because, like you said, I – and people go, man, those interviews. And I go, I don't. I know I, there are a few topics I want to talk about, but to me, I think the the best questions come from your guest's previous answer, yeah. like a conversation. Yeah, you're right, man. You know, you're right. You just listen. Yeah, and I, so I, I agree with that. exactly what you're saying. And, and I I think that's for me, of all the things I do, is interviewing people and talking to them. And some of them are better than others. I mean, you ever had that one you look forward to and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, no, I don't This ain't going yeah, well. Right. And then you have the other ones when you hang up, you're like, wow. Yes. I want to stay in touch with this it's guy. It's the best. You know, but I don't try. I keep trying to give Frank, I give Frank grief about, oh, well, SIU's playing today. Well, what time's Barry Henson coming on? <laughs> you know, I mean, th- there are certain people that you look forward to that give you something. And then there are other people, you catch them on the right day, man, like Jim Brown, who I remember one day Rammer and I did an interview with him. I bet we talked three minutes of football. In the next 40 minutes, we were talking about activism, the Dirty Dozen, uh, movies. When you stumble in and they want to talk, it's the best. He was so cool. And and so, you know, when Rammer and I got finished, we were like, holy shit. Yes. What are we going to do with this? I said, I don't know. It's going to be more than one part. Right. I can promise you that. So that kind of stuff, man, is what, what I'm, I'm, I do. And I'm going to do as long as they let me yeah. until they come get me. <laughs> See, people say, well, how long you want to do it until they come get me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got to gig you love. Yeah, man. You know, people like, I can't wait to get out of this. And what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to fish and play golf, and then you're going to die. You know, these people who don't do shit, man, and they retire, and six months later, you know, you, did you go to the hospital and see him? You know, he's in the hospital. Now. For what? Oh, he got all kind of problems. That's not going to be. You may come to see me, but it's going to be because I done lived it up too much <laughs> compared to some people. So I'm going to do it, man. As long as people like you are around and I've enjoyed over the years, watching you grow, I've gotten a real kick out of it because – um you have been willing to try things, and a lot of people would be like, that ain't going to work. And you kind of you, – you soft sell it enough where you say, well, I'm all right with it. And you get people to buy into it, and you're, you you do innovative things to keep it fresh. And I appreciate that because there's not enough of it in the business. Guys just kind of take a template and, and, you know, just do it and don't think about how they can be better because somebody can come in and say, I don't like that and we're not doing it anymore. And then you don't know what you're going to do. Right. Just like you, you haven't divested yourself of the show, but you found another vehicle to, to do things with. And I dig it, man. So to watch you ascend has been fun. And you're, you're a husband and a father now. We'll see how that works out. Here. I guess you. I guess if you have been the amateur, walk right out the door with my son. Yeah, if you have been the amateur night by now, I guess it ain't ever gonna happen for you. Uh, but that's great, though, man. And the great thing about it, you waited later in life to do it. You know, there's a. You know, people go back and forth on it. You know, my kids are grown now, and I enjoy them just as much now 
as I did when they were kids. I just don't see them as much, mm-hmm. but I talk to them every day, mm-hmm. tell them I love them, and sometimes they even tell me they love me. <laughs> you know, so it's cool. But, no, this has been a blast. This has I been phenomenal, it. man. This has and, been uh, phenomenal. And the thing is, I'm going to get done. I'm going to go, oh, my God, I forgot to ask about this. But right. we covered so much. We'll do a part two. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a remix. Yeah, we'll do a part two, man, <laughs> and uh, we'll just shoot the shit some more and just have a good time. I man. loved it. Michael, thank you so much, sir. Honor. It was thank an honor. You. Thank you. So there it is, an hour 40-plus with Mike Claiborne. And I'm telling you, and if you listen to the whole thing, you probably can tell, we could have gone on and on and on. I feel like inevitably we're going to do like a part two and maybe even a part three. There was so much to get to, and, and I feel like we covered a lot, but there's still much more to get to. Enjoyed that conversation a great deal. If you enjoy our conversations both on the Tim McKernan Show and on the Cat Chat, please subscribe to the show's. And please leave a positive five-star review. been saying this since the beginning. I don't understand it. I just know that it matters somehow to the podcast business. So let's make sure, if you can, that we do that. It helps the cause. Also, support the sponsors, thehomeloanexpert.com, Ryan Kelly, and, of course, James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent, and Gateway Buick GMC. They're online at stlouisbuickgmc.com, or you can go visit them at i 270 and McDonald Boulevard. It's where my family has gotten our cars for years. But not only do they have a great selection of new and pre-owned vehicles, they have 37 service bays to take care of you. So you are in and out and back on the road in no time, plus a concierge service. Gateway Buick GMC, online at stlouisbuickgmc.com. It's Gateway at I-270 and McDonald Boulevard. Gateway is the right way. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Mike Claiborne. We have some outstanding ones to look forward to. Daniel Negreanu, poker legend and also huge Vegas Golden Knights fan talking hockey, talking poker, talking gambling in the United States. That's coming your way. And new friend of the Ryan Kelly morning after, Cleveland Browns offensive lineman and Hall of Famer one day soon, Joe Thomas also coming your way. If you missed anything, we have so many great conversations since we started doing this six months ago, and you can just look back on the archives on iTunes or inside stl.com or wherever you may podcast and enjoy the conversations whenever. It's at your convenience. The conversations are evergreen. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to our sponsors for supporting, and thank you to the Seamaster for producing. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network.